This is Will from Charlotte, North Carolina, and welcome to this brand new and important episode of The Missing Piece. Now, if you follow the news closely, more than a month, the tension between Russia and Ukraine right now is escalating on a daily basis. About a month ago, the world, to be more precisely, the Western countries, thought that Vladimir Putin was bluffing the whole time in terms of uh, Ukraine's invasion. However, a month later, fast forward, we don't know exactly when this conflict is going to end, which has already caused massive devastation for people in both countries. You know, you could say that at this moment, more international leaders are trying to distance themselves away from Vladimir Putin, especially the ones who are used considered allies or friends. But this time, because of the domestic political shift, they're pulling themselves away. And the leader from the close country of Hungary is doing exactly what I just said. So that's why today that it's so crucial in this episode, I want to talk about the country of Hungary and what Viktor Orban is trying to shape under this tension between Russia and Ukraine. Joining our show today is Dr. Peter Kreko, and Peter is a social psychologist and political scientist. He's the director of Political Capital Institute, a Budapest-based think tank since 2011. He's a regular commentator in the international media and published articles, among others, in Foreign Affairs, Guardian, Newsweek, and other major outlets. So without further ado, Peter, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Thanks a lot for you for having me. No problem. The pleasure's all mine. You know, since the, the the day that I approached your article, and you know, I was very impressed and amazed by how you explain the country of Hungary, and it's to be more precise, as I mentioned in the intro, the leader, current leader, Viktor Orban, is trying to distance himself away from Putin, and once and they were allies or friends with each other. So let's go to the first question, Peter. What kind of country that, according to your research, that Orban is trying to build under this uh, a globalization or under the influence of Russia and Ukraine today? Yeah, thanks again for having me in the show. And just to put it in a bit of a context, I think it's, it's crystal clear for all uh, viewers and listeners, but Hungary is um, an EU and NATO country that is neighboring Ukraine. Uh, and the interesting ambivalence in the Hungarian foreign policy is on the one hand, Hungary in many, many uh, sense is keeping the EU and NATO mainstream when it comes to, for example, accepting uh, US soldiers coming to uh, Hungarian soil mm. uh, in, in, in the uh, framework of NATO, which has just been approved in the NATO summit. Or uh, there has been um, more than three 
um, sanctions round that have been supported by Hungary already against uh, Russian individuals, companies, even the SWIFT uh, system against a few banks. So it was a big um, package of sanctions so far. On the other hand, we can see that the um, inertia of the pro-Putin policies that Viktor Orban has been built for more than a decade. So uh, Viktor Orban then, uh, he was uh, in opposition uh, already back to 2008, 2009. He was a very harsh critic of Viktor Orban. Mm. And when Georgia invaded, uh, when, sorry, when Russia invaded Georgia, then he told that NATO has to be strong in defending uh, even Georgia, and the next step would be that Georgia and even Ukraine should step into NATO, and then it would it would prevent Russia from uh, further aggression. So, but he he made a very obvious pro-Russian shift when he was in in government, partially for economic reasons, um, for example, for cheap gas that he could sell to his own voters. Uh, well, but also for private reasons. There seems to be some pro-governmental interests are very, uh, very uh, closely circulating. All the businesses with Vladimir Putin's Russia having uh, huge benefits from it. But also there is one more component, and, and this is ideology. Mm. So uh, Viktor Orban deeply believes in the decline of the West and in the rise of some Eastern stars. And already back to 2014, he told that uh, that West is on decline and liberal democracies are uh, rather uh, rather weakening. While at the same time, he mentioned a few countries that he thinks can be the uh, promising future uh, future models. And he mentioned in this group Russia, China. He also mentioned. Uh, India, uh, he mentioned uh, Singapore. So it's a it's a it's a diverse set of countries. But but I think from these two, Russia and China is the most important. And if we take a look at um, what kind of policies Orban have followed in the last few years, and answering your question finally, uh, I we can see that that um, Orban, for example, made the Hungarian press way more centralized than it was before. Mm. And Hungary has the most centralized uh, media system in the European Union with more than 400 media outlets were put into one huge um, media conglomerate. And it is directed uh, via uh, political ways and, and via political logic. And it's, it's a mouthpiece for, for the Hungarian government. How it began? It began via, for example, uh, buying up med independent media outlets by pro uh, pro uh, Orban oligarchs, and then these media outlets were turned into uh, governmental mouthpieces. And this is a bit similar to what Vladimir Putin had done after the cursed submarine catastrophe and the early days of his presidency when he could feel that a, an independent media could be deadly dangerous for his reputation and image. So that's one one uh, example. The other example is the rhetoric about uh, the West in general, mm. and, and uh, so in many sense, Orban is repeating the sound bites. And of course, we can see it in the in the far right, in all over the Western world, including uh, United States as well. But the rhetoric is pretty much 
what what we could hear in we can hear in Russia. Mm. And this is that the uh, decadent liberal West is on the decline. LGBTQ eats it up. Immigration eats it up. And 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 the whole Western world is in a moral decay on the one hand, on the other hand, in an economy decay. Why on the while there are some bastions of Christianity and traditional values such as Russia that are are showing the way. Uh, so this decline of the West narrative is very strong, and also the conspiracy theories that that Hungary uh, uses. I mean, Hungarian government got totally obsessed with uh, conspiracy theories and conspiracy mm. theories practically became the official policy on the government and this shows similarity as well to vladimir putin's russia where we can see that there is a fortress mentality everyone is against us so we have to defend the country but of course or orban is not only uh, learning from vladimir putin and his regime is put together using bits and pieces from many international models donald trump from the united states was also uh, highly inspiring for the hungarian leaders but but we can see that there is an authoritarian learning uh, cycle mm. in which hungary is on the one hand a pupil on the other hand a teacher as well to other countries in central eastern europe and the direction in which orban brings the countries obviously authori authoritarian but we cannot and should not make a uh, false equation between Russia and Hungary. Russia is an increasingly totalitarian state, and especially since the war began, it turned more uh, more authoritarian. While um, or Orbán's Hungary is a soft hybrid regime that is not a real well-functioning democracy anymore, but it's you don't see, for example, this massive um, violence and, for example, massive uh, uh, imprisonment mm. that, that you can see in, in more di dictatorial countries. Mm. Peter, you know, it's so interesting that you mentioned the figure of former U.S. President Donald Trump. And let's talk about, you know, the, the the ongoing relationship, especially in this political sense between the U.S. and Hungary. And if I'm not mistaken, that before Joe Biden was elected and he was actually questioned as a presidential candidate regarding, you know, his perspective and his view towards the country of Hungary. And, you know, from the major media outlets, that the Democrats specifically was not actually in favor of Viktor Orban. So in other words, that they believe that he was actually the opposite of what democracy should represent, you know, in terms of uh, uh, closing the borders and uh, national, uh, nationalistic policy and, you know, um, uh, uh, how to keep this party unified. And so, again, it was rather difficult for the U.S. to figure out the leadership, you know, in Hungary. But meanwhile, Peter, not too long ago, you tweeted on social media, and I quit. You said, Orban's two message in the campaign, peace and cheap energy. And Orban has sensed the security concern of his voter base, and he's seeking to maintain continuity with his pre-war a pro-Putin rhetoric, even during these extraordinary circumstances for the world. Let's go back to the first phrase, to 
to uh, Orban was actively actively looking for peace. Peter, what does that mean? Because we know today, again, this person used to con used to see that Putin was the leader, you know, was such an influential figure. But today, he's concerned or he's greatly concerned about his own election uh, within this party. So what does that mean when you say his campaign message is peace and how feasible is it for him to maintain peaceful within this own political party? Yes, so Hungary will uh, have an election in, in 3rd of uh, April. Uh, so it's it's only 10 days to go until then. And, um, and what we see in the polls, and Orban is, of course, before his election, before, before this election, um, he, he's very careful uh, of the polls, because he has to win the election, and even if the you know if the, even if the opposition, uh, even if the electoral system is a bit tricked, but he needs a majority, at least a relative majority, to to win the election. So he he his main campaign rhetoric is twofold. First of all, uh, do not let any countries to pull Hungary into this war, mm. this war of Russia and Ukraine with, you know, some subtle hints, not obvious statements about that, you know, the West played a role in provoking that, and the US played a role in provoking that, and NATO uh, uh, had some role in provoking that. But it's it's more like he says it in a vague way in his speeches that you, that it's, it's plausibly deniable. Uh, but uh, the other message is that uh, if you want cheap energy, and you know that in the whole Western world there is a huge energy crisis mm. at the moment, with with energy prices skyrocketing. If you need cheap energy, then we have to keep good relationship with Russia. Thanks for your question on on this peace issue, because you know we remember it very well here in Central Eastern Europe, uh, in countries that were under the occupation of the Soviet Union with Soviet troops. Uh, being here. And, you know, in 1956, for example, something similar happened in Hungary that what now happens in, in Ukraine, uh, Hungary had stood up for its independence, for mm. its freedom, uh, and wanted a political change, like, you know, people in the Maidan did back to 2014, 13, 14 in, in, uh, in Ukraine, and then Russia invaded and decided the fate of the country via weapons, and thanks. And uh, we remember here that what did the peace camp mean? Peace camp was the socialist camp because mm. the West is of warmongers like NATO and the United States, and the Eastern Bloc wants peace. So I have a bit of a bad feeling when I hear some hypocritical peace rhetoric these days. And this is exactly what we can see in Hungary at the moment. Why? Because the argument is that if you want peace, we have to stay out of the conflict in the sense that there is no uh, bilateral weapon transfers to Ukraine. There are no weapons transferred through the territory of Hungary directly to Ukraine. And let's stay out so that we do not become targets. But you know, Poles, Poland uh, wants peace as well, and 
but they have a different approach and i think they they are they have a, a bit better sense of reality here if you want to avoid war then you have to prepare for the worst that's right and help the one who is fighting the war instead of you and this is exactly ukraine at the moment but for for the majority of the of the hungarians the, and especially the right-wing electorate that first of all heard a lot of anti-Western rhetoric in the last few years. Second, a lot of anti-Ukrainian uh, rhetoric in the last few years. Third, a lot of pro-Russian rhetoric in the, the last few years. So their assessment and, and feeling at the moment is much more, you know, we have to stay out of that because it's not our business. And, it's, and there is a lot of um, rhetoric that blames the victim in this case, like Ukraine. There is a lot of rhetoric that blames the United States and Orban sees that right now, before the election, if he would have U-turn, then it would be a political suicide. So he did mm. not uh, have a 180 uh, degrees turn, but let's say just 90%. And, and he wants to keep these two selling points, peace and cheap gas. But as we could hear just this uh, dawn from uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, who gave a speech to the European Council that he was highly combatant towards uh, Viktor Orban for, for his reluctance to support uh, Ukraine in, in its fight. And even if Hungary did already a lot so far, and it's important to mention, so Viktor Orban's government uh, w went a long way, but you know, if the victim, uh, if you want to help the victim, then you have to do a help that the victim needs. Mm. If you have other interests, of course, just self-defense, then the situation is different. And it seems like the Hungarian uh, government is referring to this wrong national interest. While honestly, I do think that Hungary's national interest would be first to reduce energy independence from Russia. Uh, and the Hungarian government did not do so much about it in the last 12 years. Second, to support Ukraine uh, with weapons through the EU, which Hungary is already supporting, but bilaterally as well, because if we do not want to be neighbors with Russia and become the next target of Russian aggression, mm. then the only way for that is to support Ukraine's fight for sovereignty. And even if they fail, if they fail later, then it means that Russia's appetite for destruction will be a bit bit lower uh, after the war is over. Mm. Peter, you know, we are living in this reality today that we know on one hand, through the tension or this war between Russia and Ukraine, the current leader of Ukraine, Zelensky, has been elevated in this international image. So in other words, if I if I can put in a very modest way that today Zelensky it's being portrayed as this international hero because he has been very courageous and he has been fighting at the front line with the um, Ukrainian soldiers and most importantly he sending this message of unification you know, even despite the circumstances that he was hiding or he was living in the bunker, you know, because that what's going on in the country at this moment. But on the other hand, the world is watching that personality or the characteristics of Vladimir Putin. It's astonishing to the world. 
But you know, one thing, Peter, we have to understand right now, probably it's a critical moment for a lot more international leaders to think about which line should I stand behind? But again, going back to um, Orban, Orban, let's say, intentionally to pulling himself away from, from Russia, I mean, don't you think that one day, I mean, again, we hope that day won't come, but one day when Vladimir Putin is regaining his position, is regaining his power, continue to influence the world, that could actually bring a lot more negativity or even vulnerability to the leader in Hungary. Don't you think that he's placing himself on this wrong uh, on this wrong path, or you think that he's finally able to distance himself away from this person because Vladimir Putin eventually loses or eventually will lose his space within this international community? Which which Hungarian government would see this as? as you see, in the sense that, yes, I do think that what the Hungarian government does, referring to national interests continuously, goes directly against Hungarian national interests. Mm. And uh, what this balancing game at the moment is totally impossible to keep. Why? You cannot satisfy Russia, because in a sanctions regime, then you technically cannot uh, increase the trade relations mm. not to talk, talk about the political relations what can you what can you do to to or why are you investing still in this relationship just if and it's like totally speculative uh, if you are afraid of you know some kind of negative consequences uh, that that uh, if you turn against Vladimir Putin then then you you know, you will face some kind of punishment. It might be some fear in the in the uh, head of Viktor Orban, but we we don't uh, know it uh, for for sure. Uh, and you, so you cannot satisfy Russia. Uh, on the other hand, you cannot satisfy the West either, because as you said, Volodymyr Zelensky has become a hero mm. right now. That that his criticism against Viktor Orban became you know, bipersonal and bilateral. In the Western world is putting all their, let's say, is, is uh, yeah, attributing a lot of credibility to Volodymyr Zelensky. So Volodymyr Zelensky and Ukraine in this conflict can undermine Hungary's reputation even more mm. than Viktor Orban did beforehand. So I don't think Orban picks the good fight and, and he can win it so easily. And despite the fact that Hungary is reluctantly following most of the sanction decisions so far, but you know the reputation of the country is is more and more uh, horrible in the sense that mm. it is perceived mm. in many countries as a traitor of the Western bloc and Western world and NATO. And I think it's it's a bit of unjust because Hungary have have, as I said, already done a lot, but. Viktor Orban is clearly the most uh, Dawish politician in the European Union and right now in the NATO as well. While it's a tough competition, you know, you have countries like Cyprus, you have countries like Greece, you have uh, countries like like Germany in the European Union, and still this loud reluctance to support Ukraine and the loud reluctance to condemn Vladimir Putin's Russia, so loud 
that even you can hear it in Moscow. Mm. And in Moscow, the news outlets, you can see that Hungary still somehow mentioned as, you know, a good outlier uh, in, in, uh, in the Western Bloc. Uh, so you can, you can continue to do that, but, but at the end of the day, I think um, it will result in total isolation. And this is what Hungary is heading towards. And if Viktor Orban wins one more term, in the in the elections that are coming according to the polls he has a higher chance to to win the elections than the opposition if he has if he wins one more term what will he do he just cannot maintain this his past and what he started to reference already is that the new world order will be defined by china mm. so maybe his pro russian policies will go down the drain but his obsession towards an other authoritarian model, China, will not uh, decline as a result. And especially if China does not enter into the war via providing Russia weapons. And my, my bet would be that they won't because it's, it's, against, their, it's against their interest. So uh, then it might be even a possibility that, yeah, I mean, uh, having some kind of relationship with China will will be you know a bit more accepted mm. in, in the Western world than it and than it has been before the war and this new era Orban can turn to another authoritarian model and and copy paste some policies that China uses not the economic policy of course but you know some of the authoritarian line that Xi Jinping uh, is already following. You know, Peter, I'm very glad that you mentioned the country of China. And let's talk about the role of China. You know, lately, since I, I believe we could trace way back to a week ago or even two weeks ago, China came out a statement that during the press conference to the international community many times and regardless however you question you know the administration of foreign affairs to place the position on the tension or the conflict between Russia and Ukraine China has always maintained this um, neutral and this positive attitude and to say China has never been or, or will uh, will never show any interest in meddling any international conflict because China believes that peace negotiation or peaceful compromise should be the priority at this moment. So in other words, that even though China, you know, has not shown any support or nor condemnation towards Russia, but I think clearly we can read between the messages. But meanwhile, Peter, Joe Biden, it's on this tour with the NATO summit recently, and he's trying really hard to ra to uh, rally his um, allies to place more sanctions and to join this effort to stop Vladimir Putin from moving forward economically or politically. But China, as the one major player in the world today, seem to be, you know, again, Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, too could be a political measure, a political obstacle for a lot more countries to continue pressure Russia. So the question to you is, what do you think or how do you think that U.S. is going to overcome the barriers or overcome this hurdle without hurting or damaging the relationship between U.S. and China in order to make the message more effective 
to the NATO allies in order to stop or in order to curve this widely spread of Putinism. Yes, yeah, so I, yeah, China's role is very interesting here, and and yes, on the one hand, if you open Global Times, the yeah, the uh, nationalist hardliner voice voice of the Chinese Communist Party, you can uh, you can see a lot of supportive articles towards Russia, condemnation of the West, and so on. I think uh, China is interested in that Russia wins the war but through a very high cost mm. that is weakening Russia and it becomes crystal clear for everyone in the world that the next uh, world order, as Viktor Orban said, will be defined by China and the United States. So I think um, China, as China is interested in this kind of more bipolar um, antagonism, I think um, and I think I think they would be happy if if uh, Russia could win it without without their support. And yes, there were some intel in the U.S. and even in the EU that hinted that that China might support Russia with weapons. I think these were just more of an empty promise from the Chinese side. Mm. And because you know here and I think everyone that does business with China know that it's ninety percent promise, usually maximum ten percent substance. And so I think these are other anti promises. Um I I do think that that um China is watching carefully mm. about A what will be the consequence, B how strongly the Russian economy will be hit by the sanctions mm. and i think he will they will learn the lesson the big difference between china and russia is that china uh, china feels that it's a growing empire with an increasing strength so it's like you know uh, only only uh, three decades ago uh, china the economy of china and russia was about uh, the same size and you know right now china has about 30 times as a big economy as, as russia does that's right and and uh, the chinese uh, foreign policy and economic policy and geopolitics is way more strategic than than uh, uh, russia the russia feels that it's a, a declining empire it's a declining ex-empire that has to show strength to gain back its its recognition and prestige and that's that's uh, for that reason i think china plays rather a long-term game so far i do not see signs of that china would change or work on changing the attitudes of any countries relating to the russian conflict i think what will change the attitude though is the prolongation and you know the endurance of the uh, of the Russian war against Ukraine, because there is such thing as a war fatigue, and I think anyone who lives in the United States knows that. That you know, when a war starts, there is a huge attention. Everyone is looking at the news. Everyone is curious. Everyone is debating that, but people just fed up after a while of seeing the murder of civilians of seeing the, the endurance of the war and then it just goes off the goes off the uh of the top of the agenda and i think when this issue becomes the new normal however horrible it is 
or um, what if they addict to if Russia means the war, then there will be some, you know, voices who say that, okay, maybe I have to go back to normal with Russia. Like there were these voices after the uh, Russian war against Georgia and mm. against the annexation of Crimea. I think it will be more different, much more difficult than, but I'm pretty sure that politicians such as Viktor Orban, if he remains in power, he will be among the first voices who will argue for elevating the sanctions. Mm. Peter, I know you're very busy and I do really appreciate your time. I got two more questions before letting you go. Let's go back to the article that you um, wrote. When we talk about this agenda for um, Viktor Orban, and this is what you wrote, and I quote, Orban is mostly swimming with the EU and NATO tight on sanctions, and he is doing so reluctantly. This reluctance can be traced to three main causes, and one of the causes that you laid out clearly is what we called ideological. And this is, again, this is what you wrote, Peter. You said, Although he justified building up his close relationship with Russia, citing national interests and ideology, uh, ideological proximity between Orban's Hungary and Putin's Russia has become more and more apparent. So to me, Peter, again, or Viktor Orban is so passionate about this country and he's he's looking for ways to reshape his ideology, not only for this domestic audience, but also for these international players. So my next question to you is, for, the, for this upcoming election, or let's just say hypothetically, if he's elected, how do you think that he's going to continue shape his ideology for the country of Hungary, and, and or even this in a greater scale, that putting his brand new uh, this episode or brand new this uh, marketing strategy out there in order to let people to understand that Viktor Orban is someone that he's uh, putting out his brand new image in terms of ideological stand? Yeah, what, um, so I'm rather, I'm rather optimistic in the sense, like Francis Fukuyama is, that this war against Ukraine will finally, <coughs> apologies, will finally lead to a stronger West. Mm. The West has already shows way higher unity than it was expected not the least by Vladimir Putin himself. Vladimir Putin, for months, were negotiating bilaterally by world leaders, and, and his, his impression was that the West is really divided, so we can, we can go and attack. Mm. And it was a total miscalculation. And he underestimated the strength of EU and NATO, I do think. And, and, uh, and, and so for that reason, I, I think he, he, he strongly miscalculated. The West is already united than it has been. And, you know, if you take a look at the debating countries like Germany, they say that, you know, this pragmatic relationship with dictators is simply doesn't work and we have to learn the lesson. And they say we have to learn the lesson with Turkey, with China and others as well. Of course, it's like pragmatism and... And, and this transactional foreign policy will not disappear from the Western world immediately. But still, I think the long-term impact can be much more cautiousness towards the, uh, towards the totalitarian and, and uh, di dictatorial regimes, and also with a less, um, less appeal 
of these regimes in the Western world. Vladimir Putin was a hero for many. He stopped to be a hero for many, and the ones for whom he, he was a hero, like Mateo Sabi, the leader of the right? they are strongly humiliated uh, now in the Western world. So for that reason, I think Orban's big illiberal dream and adventures, he was mm. hoping for you know, a new authoritarian world order in which Europe as well will see a different kind of leadership than before. And, um, and I think these hopes will evaporate. And of course, he will not do a U-turn. I think authoritarian backsliding sorry, democratic backsliding and the authoritarian way is a one-way road. So you can't go back and re-democratize after you yourself weaken the institutions. But if you stay in power, which is not sure uh, at the moment, I think the uh, his regime will rather keep the current level of oppression and how to say authoritarianism without the real possibility of go forward because the authoritarian models are will be less less uh, how to say less less attractive and also he desperately needs the EU money and uh, if he goes forward in the in the undemocratic past then uh, EU money will be frozen and and it it means that his the uh, regime can be more and more popular after getting reelected because they have to do austerity uh, measures as well. Mm. You know, Peter, I want to end our conversation with one major important um, aspect that we all talk about. Today, especially post the pandemic, it doesn't matter if you're living in this country, uh, in this capitalistic system or um, authoritarianism or socialism, however, one of the buzzwords that people care the most is the, about the word economy. So in other words, economic sustainability. So I want to end this conversation, Peter, regarding this current economic system or current economic situation in Hungary. So from your perspective, again, in 10 days, Viktor Orban is going to uh, uh, join this fight or he has already joined this political uh, election. From your standpoint, Peter, how do you describe this current economic system in Hungary today and what will be the changes under Viktor Orban, especially during this new administration or under this current election season? Yeah, Orban have already, uh, Orban, I would say, is a state capitalist who, and in that respect, I think, yeah, this regime, I would not say that shows similarity to China, but I think in, in, he even understands China more as a state capitalist um, model. And state capitalist on, 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 in the sense that on the one hand, he knows that a well-running economy is a must. Mm. Also, you know, if you have some private interests in a well-running economy as well, and the governmental side, economic expansion is huge. So if you want to, if you want yourself and your cronies to earn a lot of money, then it also means that you are interested in a very running economy. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, ethicist uh, and, and state capitalists, because we can see that the state is clearly having a bigger influence on, for example, setting the rules in uh, occupying sectors, in, in uh, selectively helping market players, and it really goes against 
the core values of free market. So it's a highly ambivalent regime, but so far it was operating well and Orban went against a lot of, let's say, um, uh, traditional economic rules and, mm. and you know, and, and uh, axioms. And he defined his own policy as unorthodox or, or um, so it goes against the orthodoxies of the of the uh, free market classical liberal uh, economy, and still it could be successful. I think, on the other end, it will be more and more difficult in the next period. We're with most likely as also because of the sanctions, rather declining economic period coming. So we will see if he remains in power that how. Uh, how can we and why or what tools uh, manage through an economic crisis that we haven't really experienced so far? And my bet would be that even he's a capitalist, he will know that selectively putting, as he already did, uh, taxes on multinational companies that are unable to go away and will keep their assets into the country, this is the best way of plugging uh, holes in the, in the budget while also keeping the voter base happy. Mm. Well, you know, as the whole world continues to follow the escalation between Russia and Ukraine, of course, on one hand, we hope and I pray that this conflict is not going to draw too much because, the, again, as I mentioned before, people in both countries are getting to the tipping point that war would never be the solution to any political problems. But also, on the other hand, it, it's a good reminder for international leaders to actually sit down peacefully and, you know, cross our fingers in terms of seeking the differences and in terms of, um, you know, a building compromise in a greater way. So, ladies and gentlemen, it, again, it's my great honor to speak to Dr. Peter Krakow, and he's a social psychologist and political scientist, and he's the director of Political Capital Institute, a Budapest-based think tank since 2011. Peter, thank you so much for taking your time um, to be on my show, and we are appreciate your insights and your analysis. Most importantly, that your well-written article published in Foreign Affairs and Foreign Policy policies, etc. Again, Peter, thank you so much for doing this, and we'd love to have you back on the show again for the future topic regarding the crisis or the good news 